Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Trigger warning. The following episode contains descriptions of graphic violence, sexual assault, and adult language. Viewer discretion is advised. I'm Danielle. I'm Max. And each Wednesday, we crack open a bottle of wine and dive into some thrills, chills, and spills. This is Innocent Till Tipsy. We're going to talk about our first serial killer case today. I know. It's going to get crazy. We haven't done a case like this at all yet. It is a wild story about a very wild man and some of his most heinous crimes. So it's going to be... Hold on tight. Yeah, hold on tight. It's going to be crazy. Um, And also we're going to talk a little bit about some home invasions too. And home invasions terrify me. Yeah, that's... Like horrifying. Oh, scary, scary. absolutely horrifying. Yes. Um, also, this case is going to be based in New Brunswick, Canada. What? Yeah. Your other hometown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I explained in one of the previous episodes, I feel like I always have to explain myself. Born in Jacksonville, Florida, but lived most of my life in New Brunswick, Canada, which is a maritime province over in Canada. Wow. And I'm I like, saw a map last so, time. And you saw a map. One so of those you know past episodes. I know where we are in Canada now. Yes. This is so exciting. And it's honestly like such a spooky story and the man who committed these crimes is basically almost like a ghost story back home even though he's still very much alive oh wow yeah um so if you know new brunswick and you've heard zero killer then you know we are talking today about the monster of miramichi alan legere I don't know much about this. I don't think I, I know. know anything about this case. No, I feel like a lot of people don't, especially because it's from the Maritime Provinces and yeah. like not a lot of those cases are really ever discussed. So I'm really excited to talk about it today. But because, so I wanted to get Canadian wine so badly for this can't episode. Get it here. You can't Canaro. right now. But they yeah, explained because of, of the border. Yeah. Because of COVID. Of COVID. Yeah. We couldn't get any. So... We did, we settled on like, we were hoping it would look maritime with the label. Oh, it does. And yeah. And so it's Max, take it away. Tell okay. us about our wine. All right. I do know a little bit about this mm-hmm. and I'm very excited because this is going to be a great glass of wine. Um, <laughs> so Red Schooner number Voyage, sorry, Voyage 8 mm-hmm. is a Malbec. Um, so it's going to be a little bit stronger than our Cab Savs. I know. It. I think you're really going to like this one. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm very excited because it's um, by Camus, which makes a really solid wine. Um, you can get it at Costco, which is kind of nice. nuts. Uh, not Red Schooner, but Camus. Um, mm-hmm. So, and this was $45. So this is our upper end. This mm-hmm. is going to be a fancy wine for us. Um, yeah, so let's taste. Yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> I almost lost the cork. <laughs> oh, we won't need that. No, we're just kidding. <laughs> Very heavy handed today. I was like, you were like a big glass. <laughs> it's going to be delicious. It's going to be wonderful. Beautiful. All right, Cheers. Cheers. Oh my god! Mm, right, I love that. I That's know. I thought awesome. you'd like it. So maybe you won't be just a cab's half drinker anymore. Maybe, maybe we're not moving on to Malbecs here. Wow. Um, okay. So what'd you taste? <laughs> I know you like wine. Um, I like. There's almost like a sweetness to it as well, which is weird to me. Yeah, but not like but overly sweet, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it it's again dark fruits pairs well with meats. 
actually came and said um, pairs well with teriyaki burgers. So I think I sometimes because like the umame in meats and like, I don't know why that would be different for teriyaki, but um, that would be go good with this. Mm-hmm. Um, so dark fruits. And then if you taste it again, sometimes there's like a little bit of smokiness. Um, and again, like tobacco. Hmm. Other tasting notes. So, oh, and the other thing is these grapes is, are different than Cab Sav grapes. Um, of course, that's why it's a different type of wine. Yeah. Um, so Malbec wine um, and these grapes came from the Andes Mountains of Argentina. Oh, wow. They were grown in Napa, like the original grapes, grandfather grapes um, brought over. So, from, yeah. yeah. So voyage. They huh. came on a voyage uh, to Napa and then to, to us. To us. No, it's good. Oh, I love it. I love it. Awesome. I give it, I'll rate it already. Solid, solid eight or nine. (laughs) Solid. Um, So if there was ever a place in the history of true crime documentaries, podcast interviews, where you could truthfully, honestly say stuff like this just doesn't happen here. It would be in New Brunswick, Canada. I swear to God. <laughs> it it just, was a quiet town. It was a quiet town. <laughs> it's very quiet. A lot of us are related to each other. We all tend to know each other back home. So it is weird that this happened here and was utterly shocking to the area. Like, crazy. What time period? So this was happening in the 80s, okay. the late 80s, Okay. And I'm sure that trust was worse then. We we still to this day in certain locations in New Brunswick will be will leave our doors unlocked. It's just oh, that yeah. kind of neighborhood, you know, um, which we never did. My mom or I, because like true crime, I mean, yeah, you know, like lock <laughs> <your> aficionados, <laughs> yeah, lock it up. Rather not risk it. Could be safe, um, but but it is. It's just that type of area. Um, the Miramichi. So to try to explain things, and some of if. People from Maritime Canada are listening to me right now. They're going to get mad at me because I just called it the Miramichi. So back in the 80s, it was called the Miramichi. It was basically an amalgamation of all the towns that were along the river. Um, it was the Miramichi River. And it was just called the Miramichi, like that oh, area. Okay? okay. Now Miramichi is a city. So it's now officially a city. It has about um, almost 18,000 people in it. So not, okay. not huge, but yeah. not, you know. Um, and it's basically all of those towns have now like they made it official. Yes. Yes. But before it was called known as the Miramichi and I tend to have always called it the Miramichi just because my, um, grandfather is from Bathurst area, um, which is kind of nearby as well as my uncle was, um, from white Tabison tack, which is all all these crazy names. (laughs) So, and he was in the Miramichi area. So it was always known to me and my family as the Miramichi, but now just Miramichi because you wouldn't call Toronto, the Toronto, the Toronto. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and it's also in a very densely wooded area. And that is just really good to know for what we're about to talk about. Oh no. So Alan Legere was born in Chatham, New Brunswick, along um, in a town along the Miramichi River um, on February 13th, 1948. His, fe- his family, not well off at all. They lived in one of those like single family homes and he shared a single bedroom with his sisters. Um, it, he would say later that he would masturbate while his sisters got dressed. Ew. Ew. So already we've got like a lot of red flags going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and when his brother was hit and killed um, by a vehicle on a bridge, his mother openly would voice to him constantly that she wished it had been him that had been killed. Oh, God. No wonder he's 
kind of messed up. Yeah. So bit of a messed up childhood. His father wasn't present and his stepfather one day went out to the grocery store and never came home. Just did the good old goodbye. (laughs) I know. It's brutal. (laughs) Yeah. I will say there was this really awkward point. I was watching this documentary. I mean, I watch like so much about this stuff and read so much about the stuff Uh before I like, you know, and they were talking about how, um, Alan's mom, apparently she had like a separate entrance to the house that she would bring men into and have sex with them and how boys shouldn't see their mom as a sexual object. And I'm like, I don't, I wouldn't equate that to why Alan ended up being the way he was because your mother's also a human. So if she wanted to have sex with people, unless she's having sex with them in front of you, a little different time now, I I guess, but Um, still, Mm. but yeah, I don't know how, I think maybe it's not stable or stability or something. See see. just different men coming in in and out of the home. Yeah. Like I can get that. They seem to almost be blaming her. her. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, she's allowed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously that's not great for a child. I feel to see just because you don't like, you want the stability, like you were saying, you know, in your family home. But yeah, that was weird to me. Um, Also before his first murder, he had a, a long like rap sheet of crime. Okay. Um, and he was well known in the area as well for this crime. I kind of talked, I don't know if you saw, um, I did a TikTok um, on Noel winters and he was from the St. John area of new Brunswick and kind of talked about that. Um, because everybody in the area knew he was up to no good and he yeah. had had charges placed against sure. him, but there was nothing to like put him like behind bars, behind bars, you know? Mm-hmm. So everybody just knew like, it's like a revolving door. Don't look at him. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. So, um, it's the same with Alan. Um, between 1964 and 1980, he had at least 13 charges laid against him that ranged from assault, um, causing bodily harm, resisting arrest. And in 1979, he stabbed a man in the face with a broken beer bottle and twisted it during the fight. I know violent. (laughs) I know. And then when the police arrived to arrest him, he pulled a knife on the cops. (gasps) Okay. Like this guy's dangerous guys. Take note. Yeah. So he's bad news bears. When the police got a tip off after the brutal slaying of a convenience store owner that Alan Legere had done it, they weren't entirely surprised because of this. What did surprise them was the brutality of the crime and the fact that he had two younger accomplices with him. Oh, he brought accomplices? This guy's friends? Apparently. Yeah. So on June 21st, 1982, the power to a convenience store attached to the family home. So the convenience store and the family home were together, right? Of elderly John and Mary Glenn Denning in Black River is cut. So power goes out. Mm Mm-hmm. Home invasion. Three men enter. um, And um, they have the intent to rob them. Okay. Um, It should have just been a simple robbery, but the violence just continually escalated. Alan was convinced that the family had a safe in their home and he wanted access to it. There was or wasn't? There was apparently, um, but I don't think there was much in it. They would end up coming out of this crime with $45,000. So they did get... That's a substantial amount of money. It sure is. Yeah. So when John refused to tell Alan anything, he started beating him and screaming at him. Um, When John passed out, he moved on to Mary and started beating her. And as John passed away, he raped her. Oh, like horrible. Mary passed out from the severe beating. And when she woke up, her face was in the toilet. What? Yeah. So she ran upstairs and she calls 911. 
when RCMP officers arrive, they find pools of blood everywhere. The house is just a total wreck, right? Um, They found John on the floor of his master bedroom. His hands were bound with electrical cord, and he had a scarf around his neck. A shoe print on his face as well, and there was a rock the size of a grapefruit by his head. Jeez. Yeah, it was really violent. They found Mary beaten badly to the point that she was unrecognizable even to her own daughter. Oh, man. These poor people, they're just trying to live their life. Yeah. And they're elderly? Elderly. So John was 66. Um, I didn't find Mary's age, but they were like 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Like hitting their prime. Like, yeah. That's awful. So sad. So um, Mary had also been tied up. Um, When Alan returned home, he dumped the $45,000 on his bed and to brag to his girlfriend about what they'd done, you know, Mm -hmm. um, as she counted the bloodstained money on his bed. I'm not sure how that's like a brag when he's got a Canadian or Canada wide warrant issued for his arrest and he's raped and murdered. Nope. Yeah. Like it's crazy to me. Um, police would end up finding $3,400 in a bag in the basement as well. So they even botched taking all the cash. So it's just like, yeah, it's planned, but not like well orchestrated. mm -mm. This is just because of the, I'm just saying that because of like the rock and just like, there's like the electrical cord, like that's Mm -hmm. not a very, he had accomplices. So it's like premeditated and planned, but. Like but not really not well not thought well. out. Yeah, especially since the police caught them, caught up with them pretty yeah. quickly after this. Especially after that um, tip came in that it had been Alan Legier and, and two accomplices. So Alan was 38 at the time, and Todd Matchett and Scott Curtis were arrested. They were both 19. Okay, so Matchett and Curtis had a six-year track record for just petty crimes. Like, mm-hmm. you know, nothing major. Um, nothing like the violence that Legier had committed. So it made it awful easy for the crown prosecutors to really just like put on blame Legere. on Legere. Yeah. And to be fair to them, when you look at Alan's later crimes, I feel like the violence was all him. Sure. But also to be unfair to those two idiots that were with him. Um, come on. Like you're grown men at this point in time. You didn't yeah, think to stop this 38 year old. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially when it got to the escalating point of raping someone. Like, I don't No, I mean, like they were in it for the money. And then like, if like it went way too far, yeah, all of it, like, yeah, committing a crime. Yeah. You didn't have to do that. So by the time they got to trial, all of them were pointing fingers at the other mm-hmm. or whatever, all of them claiming they had nothing to do with the crime. However, Curtis and Matchett would both claim that Alan was the ringleader in the entire thing. And that has never changed. Um, they would claim that till the day they died. Um, I think Matchett might still be alive, though. In the end, all three were found guilty of murder. Curtis and Matchett sentenced to life, no possibility of parole for 16 years. And then Allen was sentenced to life, no possibility of parole for either 18 to 22 years. I had a hard time finding that. There were several mm-hmm. different sources that had different ideas of that, um, like what, what his, but it was more than what Matchett and Curtis got. Got it. Um, more than a thousand locals attended Legere's trial and shouted, hang him. Whoa. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the community already hates him. Yep. They were over it. Yeah. Um, Dealing with all his shenanigans and then now crimes. Yes. Murders. They're like, he's done. Yeah. Especially, I feel like, too, when you kill an elderly couple as well, that really just, well, uh, it killed um, John, but luckily Mary survived. But when you do something that heinous, it's just like, fuck you, you know? Yep. Yeah. Um, While in prison, 
Curtis attempted to stab Alan. Isn't that wild? That's crazy. So, and he kind of succeeded. So Alan had been playing cards and Curtis came up behind him and stabbed him in the back. Yeah. So Alan wielded on Curtis and ran at him. Meanwhile, this knife has actually like punctured his lungs. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the police had to break this up by pulling guns on them. Like you got a knife in your back. Yeah. So calm down for a minute. So he ends up being taken to the Moncton hospital from Max prison um, to be treated for um, basically like his lung was punctured. That was crazy to me. I never, I never knew that. And what's so funny when I was researching this case, the article I found that that mentioned it, they like glossed over it because they were talking about Curtis's appeals and they were like, he was also involved in stabbing Legere and whatever. And I was like, I'm, he stabbed Alan. I'm going to need to like back this up. And I had to like find a book that like mentioned it. I was like, I need to know how this happened. That's insane. Yeah. Um, Curtis did die at the age of 52. Both Curtis and Matchett did receive their parole. It's unclear as to whether they ended up back in the penitentiary or not. Um, so Alan's in Max prison chilling vibing. The police were not informed that during his trial, he had already attempted to pick his handcuff um handcuffs like to escape yeah Yeah. okay so not informed they are not aware of this the people that are taking care of him now cool and by all accounts legere once he got into prison he changed his tune real quick he was super chill he was like the nicest prisoner so really an easy guy to take care of reportedly alan did have a jekyll and hyde like personality to many so he you know he's been manipulative definitely definitely certainly like a charmer but brutal as well Mm -hmm. right um so reportedly he was one of the easiest inmates to deal with um, and since arriving at Max, unknown to the guards, Alan had been doing everything in his power to make sure he got ear infections. What? Yeah. So he would sho- shove like dirty metal in his ear, ear and even pour his own Why, urine. Why so go to go get treatment, medical treatment? Mm-hmm. Even pour Whoa. his own urine in his ear. Oh. Gross. So, all right. At this point in time, officers aren't suspecting anything because he's like super chill. So when they take him to the hospital to be treated you know, for these constant ear infections. Um, he asks if he can go to the restroom. This was on May 3rd, 1989, right? They take him over to the restroom. He pops his head out at one point. And he's like, hey, I need like more toilet paper. So they don't, they leave him unintended. Oh. Well, during this time, he's fishing a TV antenna, a collapsed what? TV antenna out of his <laughs> rectum. <laughs> oh my God, the things that prisoners do. Remember, I said you can get anything in prison. I'm <laughs> telling you. Well, got the TVs and missing the antenna. Like, can you imagine all the prisoners? They're like, dang, can't watch my show today. Like, Alan took the damn antenna. He shoved it up his ass. <laughs> and not only that but for whatever reason he was able to bring a cigar with him so he had more metal under there and he used this all to pick off his his locks on his handcuffs oh my god i know that's crazy so he emerges from the bathroom he's wielding this piece of metal as a weapon Uh, i just would be so in shock i wouldn't even know what to do i I don't want to touch your dirty antenna no all the nose all the nose Um, so he flees the hospital and in the hospital parking lot, he finds outpatient Peggy Olive telling, he pushes her into her car and he tells her he's in for murder and he holds something to her throat, telling her to like drive. Oh, that sucks. Wrong place. Wrong time. Oh God. So terrifying. Right. Yeah. Like oh. if she's an outpatient, she's just there for something quick. I know. And you like this guy that's not a broke out of prison basically like is, is I know. and holds you hostage. You're like. 
freaking kidding me today <laughs> like this is the worst day of my life <laughs> like what is even happening and is she yeah so and i'm sure she knew who he was too at that point because like, like the, damn it alan yeah god no so and he according to her he would shift from screaming at her to being kind to her like on Ew. that i know so super weird and then he does let her go unharmed thankfully for peggy yeah i think that's good yeah and but as she gets out of the car he goes don't worry i won't harm your car He's going to bring it back. Yeah, like, I'll vacuum it out. I'll bring it back tomorrow. Like, I'm like, I wouldn't give a fuck about the car at that point. No, I'm like, I'm just like leave alive. me alone. <laughs> so whatever. So now we're thinking like, Alan, he's escaped prison. Like surely he is run like, away. Yeah, on the run. He's, he's out of here, right? And he's only a couple hours at that point from the U.S. border too. So the world's your oyster, my guy. Like be gone with you. No, no, no. He does something that no one expects, especially the police. He returns home back home to Miramichi. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, come get me. It's crazy. And he would carry out a seven month long reign of terror on the town of Miramichi. I can't believe they didn't just like go over to his house, knock on the door and be like, come back. Oh, he was not home home. Okay. He was like hiding in the dense woods of oh, the Miramichi. Okay. And we'll get into what else he did while he was there because oh, it no. is chilling. It is chilling. Some of the stuff he did. It's wild. Um, so on May 7th, 1989, less than a week after he's escaped. So on May 7th, 1989, just less than a week after escaping, right? He was so bold. Like, it's wild to me. So he robs this guy named Max Ramsey. He takes his wallet and his car, both of which were would later be found in Newcastle. So almost like he's leaving like little, mm-hmm. little breadcrumbs for officers, yeah. right? Um, on May 27th, he would steal a duffel bag, a pie, and $100 worth a of pie. Meat. $100 worth of meat, too. Meat. Meat and a pie. <laughs> I guess he's got to eat. But he's... That's like, if you already have people looking for you. Why are you stealing pies and meat? I know. Okay. That's so weird to me. This is like bonkers. This I kind know. Of, this, this is just oh, going. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so uh, there, it, where he'd stolen all of this stuff from was from a house that was next door to the murder that would take place the following day. Oh. I know. So he wasn't done yet. So on May 27th, sisters Annie Flam and Nina, who is um, 75 and 61, okay, they both lived above a grocery store that Annie had run for 50 years, over 50 years, okay? Mm-hmm. Pillars of the community. Yeah. Very loved Just women. like the other old, uh, convenience store people. Like. Yeah. Super loved, very well known. So on the night of May 28th, police would arrive to a horrific scene. The house and the store were in flames, and at the bottom of the staircase was Nina. She had survived but was badly burned. She was taken to the hospital, and she was able to relay to police that the fire was not an accident. A masked intruder had entered their home and into her bedroom, initially demanding money, but then he began to beat her and rape her, and he had tied her up. Jeez. Oh, she he goes to strangle her and she passes out pretending to like she feigns death basically mm-hmm. um he gets up tucks her in tucks her in i know yeah he's jekyll and hyde this is bizarre i know then sets her house on fire including the bed she was in so she and he thought up, she was dead though thought she so. was dead so she ends up getting able to like out of her like ties right her bonds mm-hmm. and she ends up being able to get down those stairs and that's where the where the police officers found her right um so her sister it, like it's honestly like such a miracle that she survived yeah her sister annie would be found burned in her bed 
She too had been brutally beaten and her jaw was broken. Oh, I know. sad. Um, her cause of death though, it wasn't smoke inhalation or the burns. It was actually expiring on her own vomit. She had vomited due to the oh. trauma of her injuries. It was just horrible. horrible. Um, and it completely, obviously, terrified the neighborhood. And because of how similar it was to the Glenn Dennings yeah. case. Now, there were two other escaped convicts at this time, which kind of makes you wonder, like, what on earth is going on in the prison system there? Um, but Supervise them, please. Yeah. So there was talk maybe that it could have been them. But at, with the There's consistency. Too, it's too similar. Yeah, yeah. To the Glenn Dennings, it was especially by the locals, if not totally the police, that this was the work of Alan Legere. Um. During this time, of course, now sightings start to happen all over the Miramichi of Alan Legere, right? Many prowler reports start coming into the police. One gentleman says he saw someone in his backyard and he chased him out of his backyard. That'd be so freaky. I don't like I don't know. Oh, I would I never don't think like I would chase him, but then again, I'm not a man, but like I don't I wouldn't No, I wouldn't I'd be running police. out there, that's for sure. Mm-mm. Um when the police arrived to this man's home, they find glasses in the yard. The glasses match not only the style, but also the prescription of Alan Legere's from prison. Oh, geez. So that's, yeah, crazy. Um, now, when most people discuss Alan Legere, they usually discuss the murders and the terror that he inflicted on the Miramichi in those months, but not the psychological little things that he did to the locals during that time. Alan would also often break into the locals' houses during that time, during the day, and just make himself at home. What? I know. Oh, that is so creepy. So creepy. It's so creepy because that's like your your home is your personal space. And then to have anyone like mess with stuff. And like, even if you, if you ever were to come home, obviously it'd kill you. Um, oh, yeah. But like you'd be thankful you didn't come yeah, home. Yeah. But still, like, I mean, it just violates your personal space. Yeah. So he would like in. read their newspapers, eat drink their coffee, and he'd always leave them a note to let them know he'd been by. Ew. I know. It's so chilling. Freaking out. There were even reports of people being asleep in their bed and waking up to Alan Legere looming over them, watching them sleep. No, thank you. And if you didn't wake up, he'd make sure to leave you a note to let you know he'd been there. That's terrifying. He's just like messing with people. Talking about it. Like... Uh no, I know all the no's because yeah, he's looming over them while they sleep. No way! Like, I can't believe he didn't kill more people. Like, like if yeah, we've got a few more, but like he's honestly like the Miramichi's night stalker. Like okay, you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's what it, it reminds me of is like yeah. a friggin' Richard Ramirez just like, coming in. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so creepy and like just doing whatever he wanted to. Like it didn't seem to bother him at all. Whatever. Um, and also he doesn't really seem to have like an MO, you know, how serial killers have like a type that they kill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I guess with Legere, you could eventually say that it was more like the elderly he liked to pick on, which mm-hmm. personally doesn't make any sense. Cause let me show you a photo of Legere. Yeah. It makes sense that he likes the control of like coming and going as he pleases. Like, yeah. Yeah. Messing with people like that. So this is him as a young man. He was into bodybuilding. And I would not want that guy standing over me while I sleep. He's no super way. big. Yeah. Super big guy. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's been in prison. Oh, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, and done hate it. Like, I mean, horrible, horrible crimes. Like, ooh. Um, so, many of the locals during this time, um, they bought, th- they bought like, 
a bunch of security stuff, but mainly these security lights that would light up like their whole house, you oh, know, like floodlights oh, or yeah. something. Yeah. So it got to the point that they started calling them Legere lights. Really? And to this day, Hardware some of the locals, like out. <laughs> yeah. And to this day, some of the locals still call them Legere, Legere lights. lights. Yeah. Oh no. I know. Mm-hmm. That's so messed up. I know. Um, and Legere was an expert at evading police. Um, there'd be spottings of him for like several days in a row. And then he'd just disappear when like the heat got too hot, you know, mm-hmm. um, he wouldn't commit his next murder. So remember that was in May, the end of May, right? He wouldn't commit his next murder until Friday, October 13th. Oh, so good. Like six months later. Yeah. A good time goes by, right? Um, good amount of time. Um, so Linda was 41 and Donna were 45, was 45. They were unmarried sisters living together in the town of Newcastle. So very similar, mm-hmm. um, to his previous victims. Both were found dead in the ashes of their home. Just like Nina and oh, he Annie. Set it fu- he, he set, set it, it on, on fire. fire again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both like not Nina and Annie had been brutally beaten and sexually assaulted. Linda died from a combination of the meat, the beating and the smoke inhalation while Donna died from the beating alone. Um, Linda had known Legere really well. Oh, really? Yeah. They even went to the same health club together. Oh, I know. That's horrible. And apparently she'd rejected him one time. Did that have anything to do with why he chose them? So this became a huge theory and something Alan would talk about later um, that he was trying to, it was like revenge killings Mm -hmm. against people, right? And so he, a lot of people in the Miramichi now were starting to like, what, be like, what did, did I, I do? Yeah. Yeah. And is he coming for me next? Yeah. You know, cause like I can't remember. So you know? unpredictable. Oh yeah. Absolutely crazy. So Halloween didn't even happen in the Miramichi this year. All the locals were. No, I'm leaving my lights on. Yeah. Way too scared <laughs> to go strangers out. strangers come over. Absolutely not. Um, and of course the police had this huge manhunt going on for him, but it was like the Miramichi was a hunting ground and Alan Legere was actually the predator, not yeah. the police at all looking for him. No. It's a wild. It's like raining ter- terror down in this poor town. Yeah. Area. So on November 16th, 1989, Father James Smith, who was 69 at the time, was uncharacteristically late for Mass that day. I know. So when he failed to show up, parishioners went looking for him. And in the church rectory, they saw a scene. Just blood everywhere. This is so brutal. So brutal. So they called the RCMP. RCMP, come by. Um, They had been regularly patrolling that area looking for Legere. But they'd missed him by one night. The patrols weren't on that night. Yeah. One night and he gets away with it. Like, I know that's pretty crazy. And to that, like what's crazy too, is police would estimate that he had been in the church's rectory for about 24 hours. So some of that time before father um, Smith had arrived, but he just made himself at home even after killing father Smith. We just hung around. Yeah. There was bloody footprints all over the rectory. Like it didn't bother him at all to just walk through. Is he later, like, found, like, mentally incompetent in any way? Or, like, does he have mental health issues? You know what? I didn't really look at that. I know he hasn't received any treatment for mental health issues because I read something about a parole thing. Um, He's just, like, way too confident, but, like, to the point where, like, he's going to get caught. I mean, but he doesn't. So he's doing it. So it's, yeah. Interesting. I'm just wondering. No, for sure. For sure. Um so, of course, they find Alan's bloody shoe prints everywhere, but Alan is long gone. What had happened to poor Father James Smith was he was brutally attacked, um, beaten, tortured, basically, over hours. And that was the same. I don't think I mentioned it, but with Nina and with Annie, 
um, as well as with the Donna, the Donnie sisters, they were all tortured over hours. This wasn't quick. Oh. He would make himself at home, yeah. spend time there. It's kind of in, in, insane to think that he, mm-hmm. before Father James Smith, he hadn't, he had picked pairs. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. they were elderly, but like to subdue two people, mm-hmm. um, like the elderly couple, the sisters, the sisters again. It's like, I know. That's super brazen too. Oh, super brazen. And then, I don't know. So on the revenge killing thing, I did see a post online talking about how Father James Smith had had a run in with Alan at one point in his life. So some people believe that's why he was a target. I couldn't find anything to kind of back that up, but it wouldn't surprise me. It's a very small area, so I can see. Probably was known to him Mm -hmm. in some way. Very much so. Um, but yeah, it is interesting how he chose. I've always find it, found it almost more terrifying how he chose just almost at random his victims. Yeah. Like, and people were, would say like, you'd look into the woods at night during that, you know, seven month period in 1989 and, and be like, is he looking back? I just, you know, I don't oh, see him. I wouldn't be looking out my you window know, at all. Yeah. Lines closed. Cause he's just out there, you know, it's absolutely crazy. Ugh. Um, but father James Smith was also stabbed several times and they believed that it, the way his rib cage was broken, that Alan had jumped on him several times. Like he's, Oh, no awful. I know. It's so awful. So Alan had fled the scene of that crime. Obviously he wasn't there when police arrived and he boarded a train heading to Quebec. Now at that point in time, especially after father James Smith was found murdered, Miramichi went nuts. Okay. Cause they were like, if a priest can get, can get murdered, murdered anyone can oh yeah so they everybody was like kind of corralling into family homes places where they felt safe people weren't being left alone and the police it was almost like a police like city you know yeah they were just in the streets looking for him yes yep so by that point in time the rcmp are like he's gonna flee so they were like we're gonna check like the trains everything else you know for him so they board the train that alan is on looking for him okay oh gosh they even approach him and they ask him if they can see one of his arms to pull his sleeve up because he has an eagle tattoo on it. Mm-hmm. So Alan, calm, cool, collects, pulls up his sleeve. There's no tattoo. So the cops go on. They'd ask for the wrong, wrong arm. arm. Be like, both arms, please, sir. <sighs> Ugh. So they just missed him. Like, crazy. Um, from there, he went to Montreal and he pawned off the jewelry that he'd stole from the Donnie sisters that he'd murdered. So now you're thinking he's got money. Surely he's going to flee. No, he makes his way back to the Miramichi. He's like hanging out in the woods. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is all the locals did have a theory that he was going to be heading back by Christmas. Like to ruin their Christmas. Oh gosh. Mm -hmm. Well, because if that's part of his motive, if if this is like his like little hit list, then he's going to be back. Oh yeah. So he starts to make his way back, stealing cars along the way. So November 24th, 1989, Alan Legere got into a cab in St. John, New Brunswick. He wanted to go to Moncton, which is a couple hour drive from there. So cab driver doesn't realize who's obviously in the back of his car. He calls into his cab company and is like, hey, this is going to be a big fare. He wants to make sure he's got the fare, you know, so his customer Mm -hmm. isn't going to get pissed at him. As he's on the radio with them, Alan Legere shoves like a gun into him and says, you're going to Moncton. Tell them you've got the money. He now okay. knows who's in his backseat. Yep. So they're on their way. And he says he's like debating the whole time. He's like, do I crash my car? What do I do to get out of this situation? You know, and I guess at some point in time, they end up in a struggle over the wheel. Okay. 
There's ice oh. on the road, so with the struggle over the wheel, the ice, they end up in a snowbank on the side of the road. Oh, no. I know. So Alan's saying he's going to kill him. He's fucking yeah. done. He's mad, you know? But then he's able to flag down another car, and he takes, I believe his name was Rob, Ron, sorry, Ron was a cab driver. He takes Ron, shoves him into this car as well, and they've now kidnapped a second person. Her name was Michelle Mercer, and she was an off-duty RCMP officer. <laughs> Um, of all the cars, I guess I maybe I'm, I'm like rooting for her. No, I'm mad at her. <laughs> I know I shouldn't be. I don't know. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. So takes Ron with them. They're all going and they need gas at one point. So stop over and he get for some reason, Alan gets out and fills a gas tank. He's like, I got this. I feel like that's poor. Planning. I'd be like, we're driving off. Oh, they don't have gas. I might. <laughs> well, yeah, so he lock gets, him out. So let him fill it up gas. and lock him out. You guessed right the first time. Hey. He, he he went out and um, Michelle. He's going to like pay the gas for the gas inside, okay, yeah. right? And Michelle was like, "I've got a spare set of keys. Let's just go." So they they just go, right? Oh, good. But she's an RCMP officer. Well, maybe call somebody, lady. That's what she did. But still, I'm like, you've just put someone else in harm's way. Oh yeah, by letting him. Be. Yeah, like a, a civilian in harm's way because. Sure do Mounties carry guns because Canada and guns. They do. Are... So I don't know if she like didn't have maybe it with her. Duty. They might have to lock them up too because I do gotcha. know that that's like a big thing. So maybe, but like I'm still like I don't know because at first she was like basically a civilian. Then I know. I guess if you're off Shoot. duty, you're basically a civilian. So, but I just have such mixed feelings about it because I was like, well, it sucks because the next thing he does is he hijacks a truck with an. A, yeah another person yeah, yeah like putting other people in harm's way yeah yep. but yeah but like i mean she's also a victim too yeah. michelle was so yeah. uh, it's hard um but yeah so he takes this driver hostage and of course at this point the police are aware because michelle has called it in so thank thank god you know mm-hmm. um they've set up a roadblock so he stops after much negotiation and threats because he was threatening to kill this this truck driver yeah, um, they finally, he finally gives up the ghost and goes with them. Now, what's interesting was during this whole missing period, the police had believed there was a young man helping Legere. He wore a green oh. coat all the time. He'd been spotted a few times. They thought he must have accomplices, which he may have. A lot of people believed he did have people helping him because we're in a small Living area. In the woods. He knows a lot of, he knows a lot of people in the small area. Yeah. But it wasn't until Father James was murdered that you realize that, like, everyone kind of turned their backs on him that he might have yeah. known as well, you know? But to that point, it's like, anyway, so, <laughs> but um, police would realize that it wasn't um, someone helping him at all. Um, it was actually him they'd been spotting. <gasps> he was f- almost 50 pounds lighter and oh unrecognizable. Gosh. They didn't even know it's him. He doesn't look like the same guy at all. No. No, I would so, never know. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. But you see how he changes his appearance like so much? He doesn't even look like the same man. He, uh, he To be honest, he, and I know it could be like old photos, he doesn't even look like the same race, just depending mm-hmm. on his facial hair, his other hair. Like he just looks like totally different people. Yeah. It's absolutely wild. Mm-hmm. Um, so Alan goes to trial. <laughs> Um, during Allen's trial, he would be held in Fredericton, York County Wait, did, How did they catch him? So they the, did catch him from the, the, the hi, yeah, the truck hijacking and they had like this whole negotiation with him. He threatened to kill the truck driver yep, and yep. then, um, he finally gave up the ghost okay, so and got in there. Yeah. yeah. He, he gave himself up. I guess. Well, after, you know, being, yeah, gave himself shit. up. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But the truck driver lived. Truck driver lived. Truck driver was fine. Yeah. 
thankfully. Yeah. Um, during Allen's trial, he would be held at the Fredericton York County Jail. I love this fact because I've been there and I've actually stood in Alan Legere's old cell. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, (laughs) But creepy, but cool. Um, So when he was there, they told me this when I was visiting, um, it's kind of in the basement and they used to have these windows that were along the wall and then on the other side was the cells, right? So the windows weren't in the cells. Okay. They were on the outside. But because of Alan's history with escaping, they filled those windows up with cement. Good. So you don't, there's no windows there anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Also during his stay, because of his escape efforts, they put a camera in his cell, which he would proceed to sit under every day, all day. So they couldn't see see him. him. Well, I guess he put himself in like an invisible prison inside his prison, but. It's so creepy to me though, that he would just sit like in the corner, you know, all day, all day. I know. They were putting up two cameras, pal. <laughs> so finding jury members for this trial was difficult. And Alan, because it was like all revenge killings, yeah, right? Yeah. So no one wanted to like go to be the jury that convicts yeah. him. No, because <laughs> what if he escapes again? Yeah, I know. They come out and find you. Absolutely. <laughs> um, also, during his trial, he would become engaged to a news reporter. What? Caroline Norwood. What an idiot. Why would she do that? Why would she do that? <laughs> like, she was married too. It's married to her? No, just engaged because oh. eventually her husband would win her back somehow. I don't know why you'd want her. I'd be like, uh, no, you're crazy lady. Yeah. And that would be after she'd already stood in court next to his mother. Oh, so she was like full backing him. Oh, and then yeah. she goes back to her husband. You know whatever. what is mind blowing to me about these women that end up with <laughs> like, you think about all the fangirls that Richard Ramirez had and it's like, you know, he rapes little girls, right? Like tiny little girls, you know, that's mm-hmm. what he did. Right. And then you think about Alan Legere and you're like, so he raped grandmothers and murdered people. Gross. And you are okay with this. It's not like he's not guilty, you know? Yep. So that's, I don't know. It's just wild to me. And it's like, also what makes you think that he wouldn't do the same to you? Or do you have this kind of fetish with where you want to like, see if that I would happen? I think it's insane. Insane that people like flock and talk and pen pal even like like guys to like men serial killers like oh yeah they like want to be pen pals with them so mm-hmm. like no no yeah no um so speaking of alan legere's mother she threatened to assault reporters as they left court the first day so like <laughs> she, mother like okay, son i guess, I guess. Yeah, she's a little hot tempered <laughs> yeah um her son wasn't much better he would create disturbances constantly in court and have to be removed from the courtroom often um he also claimed that he never killed anyone now here's a really fun thing so i don't know where this term came from i probably should have looked it up but it, back home um there's a term we say oh buddy did this buddy went out for a dart it's like saying guy uh-huh. you know and we're not friends with buddy yeah but like buddy is just like a term yeah and i don't know i've been watching letter kenny recently which is another canadian show and it's based out west and they mentioned buddy a few times too so i'm like is it just it's a canadian, canadian thing? thing but yeah i don't know but he alan would claim in court that buddy did all of this i found that so funny what it wasn't him it was buddy it was buddy okay mm-hmm. Even though he left so much semen at like almost all of his crime scenes that Ew. the judge even accidentally called him Mr. Semen one time. <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine doing the jury on that one? You're like, oh, I know it's wild. But of course, at this point in time, so DNA is still in its infancy, like infancy, yeah. infancy, infancy. So this is one of the first cases in Canada where DNA evidence would be used. The point that 
DNA evidence had to be explained to the jury of what it was, which is funny because yeah. you think of it nowadays, it's so prevalent. Juries like must have DNA. To, yes. Yeah. Like, and th- then they didn't have a clue what it was. They're like, not the, the a clue. Way. Yeah. So they had to explain about DNA profiles, all of this that, you know, if Alan is matched, it literally couldn't be anyone else, especially with the amount of DNA he left everywhere. Cause mm-hmm. he literally left his hair, everything everywhere. Mm-hmm. So like, and then that's funny too to think of because back in the day, I wonder if he, I wonder if funny, not funny, haha, but like funny, funny. Um, if he killed today, I wonder if he would have been more cautious of his DNA profile. Do you know what I mean? If he knew that DNA was going to con- uh, connect him and convict him, then yes. would he have been more careful? Yeah. He's pretty brazen. He's like going into people's houses just to hang out. So yeah, I don't think caution to the wind. Yeah. Like, the um, prosecutors would also say they were so grateful for DNA evidence in this case because he was an escaped criminal. Um, they really didn't have anything other than circumstantial evidence on him because no one really survived except for Nina. Now, Nina did give a very heartfelt and powerful testimony at his trial of not only how the crime happened and the brutality of it, but also how she was affected after the fact. Oh, because he's out. Oh, <laughs> he's yeah. Like- yeah. yeah, and also too, like she lost her sister as well. You oh, know, yeah. so well, totally like, traumatized. After oh, that. yeah. So, um, and she had burns on more than forty percent of her body too. Like she, oh, she went through it. I know, I know. So, but to that point, the officers were scared. But if they hadn't had this DNA evidence, prosecutors worried that like he wouldn't have been fully charged with this crime. You know, um, to the extent that they could have. In the end, Allen would be found guilty of four counts of murder, and he um, there were four counts life sentences placed against him, and he had 25 years until he could get parole. Did he get charges for uh, Nina? Yeah, um, I'm not sure if he did or not. Everything so to be so because four charges for murder leaves her off. I know. So the hard thing is, is with the Canadian crimes, it's a very hard to like find any information on them for whatever reason. I think it's the way the government has public publication bans, mm-hmm. like all the sorts of things. Um, when I was looking, I didn't see anything for like rape or anything else. It was hard, honestly, to find like the 18 to 22 years. I'm yeah. unsure whether like which one that was right initially. Um, so I'm sure he had places like charges placed against him for rape. I just couldn't find that. Yeah. Um, but four counts, um, a murder received four consecutive life sentences, no chance of parole for 25 years. Um, one of the officers that was by Allen, um, when the, the counts were being rung out said that Allen's knees buckled on the third count. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck <Get him>. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was the first criminal conviction in Canada that was based on DNA evidence. Woo, Canada. Yeah. That's like kind it. of, yeah, wild. So Pearl, that's cool. You kind of always wonder, like, when they start using this DNA stuff and, like, right? that's cool. Yeah. First one. You think it's, like, what, oh, 31 years ago? Isn't that wild? So that it was insane because we've grown up with, like, DNA being part of, like, the process. Yes. And you're like, oh, yeah, before that, it was blood type, witnesses. I mean, mm-hmm. little gumshoeing. Almost like, circumstantial evidence yeah. until, yeah, a while. Um, so Alan would apply. So Alan has been eligible for parole since the early 2010s. Again, I found conflicting stuff on that. It was like someone said he'd been out on parole or able to like get parole as of 2012. Then someone said 2016. So 2010s, he was able to. He's, so is he out walking around? Well, no. Okay. But he's 73 now. Um, he would have definitely like killed more people, I feel, if he Yeah, I was out. like, uh. Yeah. 
He's 73 now and being held still in Max in Quebec. Okay. Um, his last parole hearing was in January of this year. During that hearing, Alan would argue that he was a changed man. And that while he tied women up and sexually assaulted them, that was because of his alcoholism. No. <laughs> and anyways, you murdered people. So yeah, well, he says he didn't, but he's, but he still did it. Oh, okay. He didn't kill anyone. So I don't know why you thought that there were other people. Like, at I just crimes. tie people up and rape them. Yeah. That's his like, that's all he did. And to that point, um, he also doesn't consider himself number one violent at all. And he's also not a sexual predator. So I don't know why you even said that. <laughs> Can you imagine the like, cow? He's like, I don't have any problems. I'm actually what? fine. I'm good. Yeah. Like, I, <laughs> so crazy. Um, so he ridiculous. All, I like, know. The stuff that people try to pull, like, no, not normal. You're not okay. <laughs> he also would say that, I love that he made a point to say this too. He's not weird with any of the female correctional staff officers. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Well, apparently he's that's not. And I'm sure he was. He's like, I'm not like that. But apparently he is. I was <laughs> like, I'm sure he is. <laughs> Reports of his activities in prison would totally disprove this. He's focused on them. Ew. I know. And in 1991, shortly after his conviction for murder, he had tried to escape planning again <laughs> to take a female correctional office officer hostage? hostage yeah he likes those hostages he yes. sure does this was foiled only after officers found inside of his television um handcuff keys <laughs> it's like he's got a television again <laughs> didn't they learn the first time well, listen listen as le- as early as 2019 according to his parole hearing they found a weapon inside of his uh what? Television. Stop I thought getting- you were going to say rectum. <laughs> <laughs> His ass. <laughs> I was like, waiting for it. Okay. <laughs> He's still hiding. I know. He's thinking back a cigar. This <laughs> is like a road trip. <laughs> last night I was going through this script with mom and she was like you're gonna have to not laugh the entire time (laughs) because we'd get to the murders and of course we're like serious because they're horrible but then you start talking about Alan and you're like what the fuck (laughs) I wouldn't have been surprised I was like "Uh uh-huh okay (laughs) we'll be back in today oh god um so <laughs> sorry so they found a weapon in the tv in the tv okay. it's in the tv thanks to the handcuff um, keys got it oh. yeah yeah 91 handcuff keys 2019 keys. yeah he's just hiding everything weapon. he's yeah. still trying to get out and then when you ask anyone about alan including the officers that take care of him what do you think he's doing he's sitting there planning for when he's out of, of prison or is. to get out of jail yeah. yeah yeah crazy to me my favorite though um, so he's on the parole board hearing and someone asks him if he understands the harm he has caused to the Miramichi community as a whole. And he says, yes, I understand that part. But the one thing I don't understand is why they can't forgive me and why they can't forget. Oh, uh, cause you kind of like wrecked the community. Yeah. Like you did a number. You did a huge number and like, Oh God, like he has no concept. It's gross. He thinks he should be forgiven and forgotten and like just brushed under the rug. I know. It's also gross. He thinks he he has no problem, but I know I'm like, were you there for the crimes you were, but were you like, that's why I was like, does he have, yeah. Like any mental illness because 
It's like so far off well, base. Actually, um, Agar said Legier's files speak to antisocial and narcissistic disorder and obsessive compulsive personality disorder. He scores high on the psychopathy ch- checklist. Um, and he has a high rate of recidiv- recidivism if he's ever released. So being. Yeah, no shit. He yeah. gets out. He does it again. He'll do it again. Yeah. So, so yeah, re-offend. totally. He does have like a lot of issues going on. Definitely. So, um, and yeah, that's what I was saying. He's so narcissistic to just, even when he was just breaking and entering, like mm-hmm. just go in, hang out, leave a note. Like, yeah. Yeah. Totally narcissistic. Oh yeah. Like Legier was here. Like, good God. Um, Thankfully, in Canada, he is seen as a dangerous offender. So while he can apply for parole, it doesn't mean he'll ever get it. He should. Oh, that's good. He should remain the rest of his life in prison um, because he is highly likely to reoffend if he's ever released. And that means, but the by the like dangerous offender act, it means that the government has recognized that he is highly likely to reoffend. That's cool. Um, that Canada like puts a pin in it, and they're like, "Yeah, yes. you're flagged." Yes, but to that point. I, like it's in a perfect world, he'll never be out of prison, and it is wild that he can even try to apply because then you're putting the families through so much. But I know I always like to put like a call to action at the end of these cases. Mm-hmm. With this one, I just wanted to talk about him today because without us remembering what he did, it's been 40 years now, almost mm-hmm. like you know since he did these crimes, you know, 30, 40 years. If we don't keep that in our minds, and he still continues to get up for parole. It can make a very dangerous situation. If you look at yeah. the Paul Bernardo, Carla Homoka case, or for the Americans, Ken and Barbie killers, um, they, I mean, Carla's out. She had a plea deal, though, yeah. um, has a totally different name, husband, yep. children, serial killer, but fine. Yeah. And her husband, Paul Bernardo, or ex-husband now, but he applies for parole every time and he may get it one day. Mm-hmm. Like it's very, you know, so it's just nice to have the reminder of it, with these men, there is no there's no stopping there's yeah yeah, there will be no end to the violence when they come out you know Mm -hmm. and it's for the safety of everyone that they stay where they are at um so that was the crazy that's a a nutty one (laughs) i can't believe that's from where you're from i I can't either because honestly like that's not what our town is like at all i'm like literally if there's ever a place you can say we are not doing a we're not doing a show at your (laughs) i know I'm and sure it's nice. I agree. There's little boats and it's like all Aww. woods and then a random yeah. house every now and then. So okay, it, I like it. It's cute and quaint. It really doesn't happen there. <laughs> Since he's locked up, I guess we can take this on the road someday. <laughs> so wild. But yeah, that's, that's crazy. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thanks for sharing. You're like, welcome. I've never heard of that. It's so wild to me when people haven't that's heard of Alan Legere because he's literally like, oh my God, I did want to tell you this story. This is so wild. So, um, Alan Legier, literally like a ghost story, right? I went mm-hmm. to criminology school in, in St. Thomas University at Fredericton. Um, I mean, one of his victim, victims was taken to the um, Everett Chalmers um, Hospital in Fredericton. Like, it's all very it's like close backyard, together. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, in Fredericton one day, we had this girl in our hallway. Um, she was always, like, super scared of everything. We, we used to love to tease her all the time. So there's one Friday the 13th. I was like, oh, my God, we could pull, like, the biggest prank so we all decided to like start talking about, we we're like, I think Alan Legere got out. 
Oh anyway, no. <laughs> was she like? She was like freaking out. So we like just started like it was like in the early 2010s too. So there wasn't like a bunch of like, you yeah. know, um, it wouldn't be your first thought to go to Google either, right? Yeah. So we're like just sitting in like the and we would we were pretending to like look at our phones and like look at look online and be like, "Oh shit, I think he's he's on his way to Fredericton on his <laughs> way back to Miramichi." <laughs> and Kat was like, "Oh my god." <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's safe in Max prison oh in Quebec. But oh my god. Yeah. So he he is a terrifying fact and and mothers will even tell their children like be you better go to bed on time or alan legere will get you what the yeah hell? <laughs> so he's our boogeyman turn on your legere light yeah you put your legere lights on or alan will come yeah oh my god. isn't that crazy <laughs> that's so nuts i know oh my god that's a good one though yeah um what did you think of the wine this has been a good one. Oh, i love it i love this i wine. love it too let it's us know so what you good. think in the comments you guys can, mm. can get this one yeah pretty much anywhere this has been my favorite so far of any mm-hmm. of the wines we've done. I love it. Yep. I love it. Yeah. Oh, oh well, thanks for the good story. Well, thanks for talking I'm about so, my home. <laughs> I know. I think it's so crazy that your hometown was like cutting I mean, edge in DNA. Thank, well, thankfully that Miramichi well, is I mean, not, the not home, your hometown. Near. Okay, near. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little yes. ways away. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Media Production. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.